Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. this it's episode 78 of Sorallo Sports Talk with me Joe Sorallo back after taking most of the month of August off working on some other projects getting some other things in order but we're back it's Sorallo Sports Talk the podcast but Sorallo Sports Talk the national radio show resumes next week on Sports Map Radio so gonna be extra raw gonna be extra unfiltered got a lot on my mind and where else to start besides my New York Mets. The New York Mets and the Los Angeles Dodgers just played a playoff game at Citi Field, and my goodness, Jacob deGrom showed why he's the best pitcher on the planet. That was one of the best, most dominant pitching performances. Yes, I know, he gave up a home run. Well, guess what? I don't care if you're Bob Gibson. I don't care if you're Tom Seaver. I don't care if you're Sandy Koufax. You leave a slider, even if it's 93 miles per hour, the fastest slider ever we've seen in baseball, right? You leave a slider, dick down the middle to Mookie Betts, one of the best hitters in baseball for the past decade. He's going to take care of it. So yes, gave up a run, gave up a home run, got touched up once over seven innings. But you look at that performance against the best lineup in baseball, a lineup that one to nine has no holes, no breaks, no free outs. Jacob deGrom went seven strong, three hits, one run, nine strikeouts. He's the best pitcher on the planet. And if you don't believe me, you can ask the guy who took him deep, Mookie Betts, because post-game, Mookie Betts, and there's so much of this game I want to get into, but this, this is where you've got to start it. Mookie Betts post-game at his locker said Jacob deGrom is the best pitcher in the game, maybe the best pitcher of all time. Now look, don't get it twisted. We're not talking career spam. We're not talking longevity here. deGrom, of course, got a late start to his career. I mean, the guy made his debut a month shy of his 26th birthday. But at his peak, Jacob deGrom's stuff is unlike any stuff we've ever seen from a starting pitcher. He has closer stuff. He has Edwin Diaz come in for one inning, hope to throw 10 pitches and leave it all out there stuff. Jake does it for 100 pitches. Fastball in the seventh inning, dialing it up to 101. Slider, 94. In the seventh inning, 93 pitches in. Mookie Betts. This is a guy who, oh, by the way, today as you're listening to this on Thursday, the Dodgers return a future Hall of Famer. Clayton Kershaw is taking the bump for the Dodgers today at City Field. This is a guy who has played with Clayton Kershaw, a first ballot Hall of Famer, a guy who should get 100% of the vote when his time comes to get the call to Cooperstown, just called Jacob deGrom, maybe the best pitcher ever. There's not a hitter in the MLB. I don't care if you're Mookie Betts. I don't care if you're Freddie Freeman. I don't care if you're Paul Goldschmidt trying to get the first triple crown in the National League in over 80 years. There's not a hitter in Major League Baseball who wants to step in that box and go up against Jacob deGrom, especially as we near October. And yeah, right now, as we speak, it's September 1st. Baseball has entered its final month 
Every team gets two call-ups. We are in the final stretch. No one. I don't care if you've got home field advantage. I don't care what the situation is. No one wants to go up against Jacob deGrom in October because he shows us time and time again, he is the best pitcher on the planet. What did that Dodger game make? Four, five straight starts with at least nine strikeouts. Over under was eight and a half, by the way. Looked like a fishy line to some because he's going up against the great Dodgers team. What did he do? He went over. That was my play of the day. Gave two bets out yesterday. Mets money line, minus 160. DeGrom, over eight and a half Ks, minus 125. And he went over on the last batter he faced in the seventh inning. He was absolutely phenomenal. But, but, he had a little bit of help. And no, I'm not even talking about Starling Marte with the wood because the Mets offense is still struggling a bit. That was a huge blast from Marte. Ended up being the deciding factor in the game. The only two runs the Mets would score. And thank God they showed a pulse with two outs. All of that coming as a two-out rally. Nimmo's single, Marte's bomb. But the help that I'm referring to, and I just mentioned his name, is Brandon Nimmo. That play that Brandon Nimmo made in center field, robbing Justin Turner of a game-tying seventh-inning home run. That play was shades of Andy Chavez. That play was shades of, and this doesn't get near enough credit, and I know it wasn't robbing a home run, but it was, it was preserving the game when he made the catch, shades of Curtis Granderson, a la the 2016 NL wildcard game when Grandy made that running catch into the wall in center field, took himself out, collided with that wall so hard, to preserve what was then a tie game and an incredible pitching duel between Noah Syndergaard and Madison Bumgarner in that one. Now, again, I know that wasn't robbing a home run, but it was the playoffs. Gave up his body, put it all on the line to you know to keep that game tied. That was one of the greatest defensive plays I've ever seen in a Mets uniform. Nimmo, right up there with those two. I mean, you're talking probably the three greatest plays of my lifetime in terms of Mets defense. Brandon Nimmo's catch last night cracks that list. That was incredible. Even better than the catch itself, by the way, Brandon Nimmo's reaction. This guy needs to be a Met for life. I mean, his reaction, the raw emotion he showed, I mean, it was like an out-of-body experience for Nimmo after he made that catch. This team, this team is the most entertaining team in baseball. I mean, the Dodgers are up there. I mean, this team, that team rather, the Dodgers, They can just mash one to nine. Great pitching, right? They're fun. They've got great characters. Trey Turner, Mookie Betts, of course, atop the list. But this Mets team, you've got Jake on the mound. It's appointment television. It's tell your kids, stop what they're doing. Put the TV on. Nimmo, that play in center field, the motion he shows. I mean, come on, the guy walks, he sprints to first base, right? He's just, he does everything hard. He does everything right. Alonzo, the guy is a home run machine, even though he's been in a slump lately. And then... You talk about this team and the entertainment factor. How about what happened in the ninth inning at Citi Field last night? Timmy Trumpets coming in from Australia to play Narco live for Edwin Diaz. I mean, there are just so many things to process with what happened with Diaz this series. First of all, Timmy Trumpets was supposed to be at Citi Field Tuesday and Tuesday only. The Mets lost 4-3. to three. It was a tight game. Diaz didn't come in. Trumpets didn't get to play live. So he said, I'm staying. He stayed. He got to watch the best pitcher of this generation live. And with a 2-1 lead, he got to go on the field and play the trumpet part of Narco 
for Edwin Diaz for this walk-up song that over the past month, since I've done my last show, has taken the country and taken the world by storm. I mean, the Mets are a spectacle. They're not just a great baseball team. They're great entertainment. Edwin Diaz is now a household name, even if you're not a diehard baseball fan. Any diehard baseball fan knows him because in 2019, he had a, or 2018, I should say, had a historic season with the Seattle Mariners. And for the past couple of years, he's regained status as a top closer in baseball. Now he's the best bar none, but the entertainment factor of his walk-up song of coming into Narco, of City Field turning into an absolute party when Edwin Diaz comes in a game in a save situation in the ninth inning, the Mets are a spectacle. And this move, bringing in Timmy Trumpets to play on the field live for the Mets closer in a game against the team with the best record in baseball, in a game against the team who's challenging the 0-1 Mariners to have the best record of all time in a 162-game schedule, This is a move that the Mets of past years would have gotten crushed for. A move that probably would have blown up in the Mets' faces during past regimes, past seasons. Right? Diaz, who's been all everything. He's allowed one earned run since June 18th with a live performance of his walk-up song in past years. He probably would have given up a three-run homer to blow the game. No. No, not this Edwin Diaz. Not this year's Mets team. This team is so different. What did Diaz come What did he come in and do after that spectacle was made? After the live walk-up song? Something that's unheard of in Major League Baseball. I mean, to have a guy come out and play, like, this just doesn't happen. Baseball, I mean, you know, there are other sports that that hone in more entertainment. You've got the halftime shows in football, and you've got basketball with in-game entertainment. Baseball doesn't do this. Baseball needs to do this now. Because it went so damn well for the Mets and for Diaz. What did he do? He came in, struck out Trey Turner, one of the best hitters in baseball this year. I think he's number two on the MLB hit list behind his teammate, Freddie Freeman. Struck him out on three pitches. Made him look silly. Did what Jake DeGrom did for seven innings. Pumped 100. Oh, here's my slider in the low to mid-90s, by the way. I mean, it was silly. This Mets team, you know, look, you look at what they've done, and people like to say that they've been slumping lately. Because they went through a, a stretch where they had a 4-6, and 10-game road trip. Oh, whoop-de-doo. That's their worst 10-game stretch of the season. I'll take that. If that's my team's worst 10-game stretch in five months, I'll take that. This Mets team is built to compete with anyone. You look at their record against the Braves, who they're three games up on in the standings. 9-7 and seven against Atlanta this year with three more to go. You look at their record against the Dodgers. 3-3 three and three with one more to go. The rubber match today, Chris Bassett, Clayton Kershaw. I mean, no one... No one scares me. They're the second best record in baseball. They, of course, struggled against Houston. 0-4 against the Astros when their starting pitchers were Cookie Carrasco for two of those games, Trevor Williams for one, and Ty Walker, who went up against Justin Verlander, had an incredible pitcher's duel. They lose because the bullpen blows it. They lose 1-0. I mean, this team can go up against anyone, and I'm confident in this team against anyone They're not just good at baseball, though. They're entertaining. They're fun. They're everything that baseball needs in 2022. This team is special. Now, speaking of special, there's something going on in the American League that's pretty damn special. As the Yanks and Angels wrap up their series with each other, you just saw the two AL MVP far and away frontrunners go head-to-head. And this is... One of the more unique, fascinating, nearly impossible to call MVP races 
of all time. Because you've got Aaron Judge setting records. He's already eclipsed the 50 home run mark in August. 51 home runs as we come into September 1st today. He is challenging the Yankee home run record, Roger Maris. He is challenging not only the Yankee home run record, but in Roger Maris's record, the American League single season home run record. And not that it necessarily counts, but should Judge break Maris's record, not only would he hold the Yankee single season home run record, the American League single season home run record, it would be the most single season home runs without using steroids. Everyone ahead of Judge, and ahead of Maris, I should say, rather, everyone ahead of Maris, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, all juicing, all late 90s, early 2000s, peak of the MLB steroid era. That would be phenomenal for Aaron Judge. And look, I'm the first one to give the Yankees shit about their band box of a ballpark, the Little League field that they play at, right? I'm the first one to do it. And Judge has gotten a couple to right field that, you know, he's, look, he can take a fastball oppo, give him credit, right? I mean, Jeter hit 200 home runs. Jeter did not have 200 home run power. He had 200 home runs by utilizing that short porch, right? They all count the same. I can sit here, you can sit here, give them shit for it. They all count the same. Most of, and this is just a fact, unlike Jeter, most of Aaron Judge's home runs this year have been gargantuan. Most of Aaron Judge's home runs this year have been home runs in 30 out of 30 ballparks. So at the end of the day, what Judge is doing is remarkable. It's historical. It is record challenging. Then you have Shohei Otani, who I talk about Judge hitting or eclipsing rather 50 home runs before September 1st. Well, Shohei Otani, as of last night, as of August 31st, has set an MLB record that in 146 years has never been done. Shohei Otani is the first player, Babe Ruth didn't even do it, to hit 30 home runs and as a pitcher win 10 games in a single season. Now, people always compare him to Babe Ruth because Ruth did the two-way player thing. Babe Ruth never won 10 games and hit 30 home runs in the same season. Shohei Otani has done that. It's not even September 1st. This guy's a unicorn. He's one of one. He, just like I said about Jacob deGrom earlier, is appointment television. And you know the worst part? I can't watch this with MLB TV in Los Angeles. By the way, quick tangent because this is a necessary one. The MLB needs to stop with the damn blackout restrictions. Because the fact that the Dodgers are going to be challenging the 0-1 Mariners for 116 wins, and the Angels have freaking Shohei Otani on their team, and I can't watch either of them without getting cable, despite the fact I pay 160 bucks a year for MLB TV to watch every game, that's ridiculous. I mean, there are, and I was reading this earlier this year, there are people in Iowa who are blacked out from like six teams. It's like the Cardinals, the Cubs, the White Sox. I want to say the Twinnies, the Brewers. I, I saw that there's there are parts of Iowa where you are blacked out from six different teams. Meanwhile, Iowa doesn't even have an MLB team. You have to drive hours to go to a game. It, it is, the blackout rules and restrictions are ridiculous. I, I mean, look, I love the fact that, you know, except when they play the Dodgers and Angels, I can watch my Mets every game with MLB TV. But the fact that I'm missing out on Shohei Otani being an absolute unicorn, one of one, and the Dodgers mowing everyone down 50 games over 500 before September 1st, I mean, it's ridiculous. You should be able, if you're paying for that, you should be able to watch any team, anywhere, anytime. 
But back to Otani. I mean, he has, before September 1st, set an MLB record that hadn't been done in 146 years. And that just makes this year's AL MVP race so complicated. Now, I think I'm going to surprise a lot of people here. I'm giving it to Judge. If Aaron Judge, and only if Aaron Judge sets the single-season American League home run record, he's got to be your MVP. Aaron Judge is proving that he was a 1,000% right to bet on himself and not take a low-ball offer from the Yankees coming into this season. He has put together maybe the greatest walk year we've seen from a hitter in the history of the sport. Could set a franchise home run record, could set a league single-season home run record, and could set a non-steroid-using single-season home run record. That's your AL MVP. If he sets the AL home run single-season record, he's the AL MVP. And he's not doing it Dave Kingman style. He's not doing it modern-day 2022 style. Kyle Schwarber hitting 205, but hitting nukes, right? Judge is hitting just a hair under 300. He's got the best OPS in the league far and away. He's also made the transition from your every-night right fielder to playing a healthy amount of center field, too. I mean, Aaron Judge has done it all for this Yankee team. And he's an example. He's a role model. He's a leader. You know, you see sometimes Aaron Boone loses his shit because Judge gets a low strike called. Judge doesn't really lose it. Boone, he does. Judge Judge hangs in there. He stays mellow, stays calm. And then usually his next day, B takes one yard on you. I mean, he, to me, is the MVP. And another thing that it comes down to, and Shohei Otani, I mean, again, one of one, unicorn, got the MVP last year, you know, deservedly so. But another thing, when you look at the award, and I know that sports writers haven't voted this way in a long time, but it is called the most valuable player award. Maybe on past episodes of Serralo Sports Talk, you've heard me dive into this spiel. It's called the most valuable player. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim are about 20 games under 500. Went from first place, 27 and 17, to a 14-game losing streak, and things never got better. It's a dumpster fire. Trout got injured. They sold at the deadline, right? The Los Angeles Angels are a last place team, or I should say a fourth place team because they've got the Oakland A's in that division, but their caliber, their quality is that of a last place team. So they'd be a last place team or a crappy team with or without Shohei Otani, apparently, evidently, because outside of Otani and Trout, they don't have that much. The Yankees, would not be rivaling Houston, even though I don't think they're going to finish with the one seed. They're currently about four games back from the Astros, right? They're probably not going to get the one seed. They just went 10 and 18 in August. But even as the two seed, the Yankees would not be the two seed. You can argue the Yankees might not even be in first place without Aaron Judge. Why can you, he, why can you argue that? I mean, he single-handedly won them games, right? Look at that Royals game. That really stands out in my mind at Yankee Stadium some weeks back. Yanks won three out of four against the Royals on a weekend series. And I think it was the first game of the series. Judge hit a walk-off home run. They won one nothing. I mean, against the freaking Kansas City Royals. That's how mediocre, once you get past Aaron Judge, this Yankees team truly is. Their pitching's been a disappointment. Nestor Cortez came back down to earth a little bit after his incredible start to the season. Now he's injured. Garrett Cole has had a very subpar season. He's punching out more holes in the dugout than he's punching out batters. I I mean, 
the lineup has flaws. Stanton went down with an injury. You know, he had, he's got some bombs. He's got 24 bombs, but, you know, he's hitting 220, right? And that's why Judge, what I say about him with his 51 homers hitting 296 is really freaking impressive. I mean, Aaron Judge makes the lineup around him better. He's saved runs in the field for this team. He makes them more confident. The Yankees, in terms of value, would not be where they are without Aaron Judge. The Angels would still be losing games without Shohei Otani. So when you look in the true sense of most valuable player, I've got to say, I I hate to do it. You know I hate the Yankees, but I've also got to be fair at some point. Aaron Judge, to me, is if he sets the record, if he eclipses 61 home runs, he's the 2022 American League MVP. Also, not, not that this should factor into the voting, but it might for some people. It probably does. Shohei Otani just won the award last year. So I think that there's less pressure to make him, to make the unicorn the MVP because he's already got one. Judge doesn't have one. And it's really easy. As great a year, as unique a year, as incredible and historic a year as Shohei Otani is having, if Judge sets this home run record, this AL single season home run record, it's really easy to make him the MVP because he'll also have done something that had never been done, at least in the American League in 146 years or however long the American League's been around. I know it's the junior circuit. It's, it hasn't been around quite as long as the National League, but Judge will have still set or, or rather broken history in baseball in some respect. So I'm sorry, it's zero. Honestly, it's said with zero disrespect to Shohei Otani, who I want to be a Met this winter because the Angels aren't going anywhere and next year is the final year of his contract. I mean, I love Shohei Otani. I want him on my team. It's said with zero disrespect to him, but I believe Aaron Judge is your MVP of the American League in 2022. By the way, I'm talking New York baseball, talking Judge, talking Mets, right across the parking lot from City Field, from my New York Mets. Something extraordinary happened last night. Serena Williams. Look, I I know I don't get into tennis all that much on this show. And admittedly, that's because I don't follow the sport that much because I don't know a whole lot about the sport. But I know that Serena Williams is one of the best athletes that I have ever seen across any sport. You just witnessed last night at the US Open in what could have potentially been her final singles match ever. A... Mother, on the wrong side of 40, take down the number two ranked women's tennis player in the world. You know, look, I mentioned the blackout rules before with the MLB. I went on that little rant, right? I had to, the last two nights for the Mets-Dodgers games, I had to go out to a bar to watch the game because I was blacked out. Couldn't watch it in my living room. So I had to go out to a bar with Sportsnet, with cable, or with at least an MLB package, and watch the Mets that way. So I go to this bar in Santa Monica. It's a, it's a proclaimed New York bar. They're actually a New York Giants football bar, um, which I didn't know. I walked in. I was expecting Mets fans. I was the only Mets fan in the joint. Plenty of Dodger fans there. Every TV in that bar was set to the U.S. Open. I actually had to ask for, I had one TV in the corner they put the Mets-Dodger game on. Every other TV and the sound system was set to the U.S. Open. So my head was like the tennis ball in this case. I'm going back and forth. Mets, Dodgers, DeGrom pitch, Serena serve. It was one of the most fun nights watching sports of my life. It was phenomenal. And hearing 
Arthur Ashe Stadium, right across the street, right across the parking lot from City Field, hearing that place erupt every time Serena won a set. I mean, it was remarkable. Like I said, this is someone on the wrong side of 40 who has given birth, a mother who recovered. Not only did she play the sport still while she was pregnant, but trained her body after giving birth to get back to an all-world competitive level. And she just took down, in one of the biggest majors in the world, she just took down the number two ranked 26-year-old, a girl 15 years younger than her, the number two ranked women's tennis player in the world in what could have been her last match. And trust me, they're not giving this to Serena. No one's letting up on her. That was a competitive match. I think she won the first set 7-6. I mean, that was just a tough, gritty, competitive, fun tennis match. Men's, women's, doesn't matter. That was the most fun I ever had watching tennis in my life. Oh, I mean, there was that one, the only thing I can compare to it and shows you how much I, I care because I can't even remember which tournament it was, but it was one of the majors in Europe where Nadal and Federer went on. It was, I, I think, an incredibly long match. Might have been north of four hours, right? This is right up there with that. This might even eclipse it. 41 years old, a mother in potentially her last match, taking down the number two tennis player in the world. Serena Williams, I mean, you know, you think of the best athletes. Her, Tiger Woods, LeBron James, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan. I mean, she is she is right up there, right in there with the best of them. You, you can argue with what she's done at her age. You know, I'm sorry. I, I know I've already said it a few times and I get it's a woman's sport, but you know, Tiger Woods never gave birth. Michael Jordan never gave birth and won an NBA title. What Serena has done has been nothing shy of absolutely remarkable. And man, oh man, if you haven't watched, start watching and appreciate every last volley of hers you get to watch out there. She is one of one, one of a kind. I'm rooting for Serena Williams to win the whole damn thing. Guys, when we come back next week, I am back on the national radio airwaves, Serralo Sports Talk, back on Sports Map Radio next week. I can't wait for that episode. Look, it is the final episode before week one of the NFL season. I will have my NFL playoff predictions, which teams from last year will be back in the postseason, which teams will miss it. I mean, you're going to have at least, well, at least what, four new faces? It's been the case for 20 straight years now. So I'll let you know who my four new faces, at least, if not more, are going to be. And I can't wait for this interview. I've got an interview airing next week on Sorala Sports Talk on SportsMap Radio with a current NFL starting quarterback. So guys, thanks for tuning into this week. I know it was a quickie, but it was a goodie. Just like that, this episode of Sorala Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. I'll see you back on the national radio airwaves next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.